Hey, welcome back to the Faith Friday podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Summers, and I'm here with Dr. Larry Anderson. Larry, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Good. Good to hear. <laughs> so um, you've been you've worked at Central for quite some time now at this point, haven't you? Yeah, somewhere close to 22, 24 years, something like yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, have you seen the school change a lot since you've been here? Oh, tremendously. Yes. Mm. When we first arrived in August of uh, 96, um, we, of course, came to Central that was a two-year institution mm -hmm. with one four-year degree, which was in the ministry department, and then uh, developed pretty quickly the business uh, four-year. And then Dr. Mason had the insight and um, changed us from a two-year institution to a four-year institution in the year 99-2000. So that was probably the biggest change that uh, I obviously couldn't miss. And um, that was, I think, something that needed to happen. And I'm very excited that I was here to be a part of yeah. that. Yeah, that's awesome. So what brought you to Central initially in the first place? Oh, that's a great question. I was a pastor, had been a pastor for 20 years. And my superintendent, in Southern California, decided that I shouldn't be a pastor anymore. So that door got closed, and we started looking around at some other options within the Free Methodist Church. This was one of the options that we looked into, and this is the door got opened, and voila, here we were. Wow. that That's incredible. So your pastor um, just thought that that's where your pastoral ministry um, should end. And then the Lord just kind of opened up this door. What was, what was your thinking through that process? Like what, what were you, what was kind of going on? <laughs> well, I was in shock. Yeah. And I, yeah, I imagine so. Yeah. And a lot of the people that we were involved with, especially in the church in Pasadena were just as shocked as we were. Mm -hmm. And I, there was no way we could have anticipated what was going on. But when we, when we arrived here, I didn't realize how difficult the transition was going to be mm. because my whole life, adult life, had been as a pastor. Right. And that was my identity. Right. And I didn't realize how significant that was. Mm. And it took me... It, it really did take me six years to get past that identity crisis Yeah, to realize that my identity needs to not be in what I do mm. or in a title or any of those kinds of things. It just needs to be in the marvelous truth that I'm a child of God. Yeah. And, but it, but it was that shocking experience that caused me to, eventually come to realize that dang yeah that i've seen that i've seen that a, a number of times where um especially it, it seems especially um it seems to be a, a, especially a problem in ministry where mm -hmm. um, you'll see you know you'll just see people who are so committed to their role and so committed to the mission that they miss the fact that they're loved regardless of what they do yes yes and well, and so I actually had to consciously, and I still do, have to consciously say, I, I am not a professor. That's mm. what I do. That's not my identity. Right. I'm, I'm not a practical theologian, because that's normally how you would label somebody like me. Mm -hmm. uh, that was my area of study, but that's not who I am. I'm, I'm a child of God, and that's my identity. So, I yeah, I'm a husband, but that's not my identity. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a father and a grandfather, and I, I do teach, and I have all sorts of other things that I could say that would be accurate statements mm -hmm. about me. But I have to be very careful in the ways that I say those things, recognizing that that's not my identity. Right. Those are things I'm interested in. Those are things that I do. Those are things that 
help me in how I should live my life. I mean, if I'm a husband, mm -hmm. then there's all sorts of things. Uh, recognizing that that's um, a category of my of my person, mm -hmm. and so you know I need to be mindful of that. But but my identity is as a child of God. Right. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> so when did you first come to know the Lord? Well, I was very very fortunate in that mm -hmm. I grew up in a Christian home. Okay. And my grandparents initially mm -hmm. lived pretty close to where we were. We attended the same church, got to worship with them um, on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Sunday morning, I usually sat with my grandmother. Sunday night, we would go to church, and I would generally sit with my grandmother. <laughs> on Wednesdays, if we didn't have some kind of children's program or youth program, I would be in the church during prayer meeting. And I would be kneeling at the pew with my grandmother. Now, my father was also there. And so I would see him in, the, in that same venue doing many of the same things. But sometimes he might be up front as a lay leader helping. And that was part of the reason that I would be with my grandmother. Uh, our mother was out of the picture. She had left us when I was about... Uh, 10 and a half, 11 years old. But from as early an age as I can think of, we went to church. And I had that experience. I and My mother's mother is the one that was so influential. And actually, my mother's brother, youngest brother, was a very important influence as well. And he mm -hmm. was at the church until uh, probably... 10 years old my I was 10 years old and he had, he'd left to go to college and mm -hmm. that was devastating because he had been such an important part of our lives but just having that opportunity to be in that environment week mm -hmm. after week it, it had a powerful influence on me so every summer from the time I was in fourth grade what's that 10 years old maybe I was at summer camp mm -hmm. Christian camp and when I was about 12 years old at summer camp, I decided that I needed to follow Jesus for myself. And that's when I made my first authentic self-actualization, yeah. uh, uh, yeah. whatever you want to call it, yeah. and asked Jesus to come into my life, yeah. forgive me for my sin. And that was when I had that moment where I realized that I was now yeah. a child of the king, you know? Amen. So That's that was about 12 years old, summer camp. And from there on, it was a typical journey mm -hmm. of discovery, two steps forward, one step back, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. And uh, we, we moved from Colorado to California, Southern California, where my dad remarried. Mm -hmm. And that whole experience was pretty traumatic, leaving my, my grandparents mm -hmm. uh, and going to a new subculture, um, moving from Colorado to Southern California, the mountains to the beach. Mm -hmm. uh, it was pretty traumatic, leaving all of our friends. And in hindsight, it... It was actually a wonderful thing for yeah. for myself and and for my my dad. He uh, was a principal of a small Christian school, and the woman he married was s so committed to following Jesus, and it just really solidified our family in following Jesus. Hmm. And it also brought me into contact with a a young man. He was two years older than I. He was a young man who was influential without, without knowing it. Mm -hmm. We actually, my, my two brothers and I, we stayed overnight at, at their house. Greg Price was his name, is his name. I, he's probably still alive. <laughs> and uh, 
we stayed at their house overnight for two nights while my dad and his new wife went on their honeymoon. Mm. And I remember I was sleeping on the floor in Greg's bedroom. And I remember that first night we were there, Greg was reading the Bible. And it wasn't something that I had, hadn't not done. I remember, you know, even after first coming to faith, I knew it was important for me to read the Bible. So I might read it for devotions. I just wasn't very consistent. Mm-hmm. I tried a bunch of different ways of doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, devotionally was as much as I ever accomplished. But there I was in Greg's uh, bedroom that night as he's reading scripture, and he started having a conversation with me about it, about what he just read. And he asked me questions about it. And then I would ask him questions. And I don't know how long we stayed up, but it wasn't a devotional. And it was, for me, it was a, a really radical aha moment that... I wanted to read the Bible the way Greg Price read the Bible. And I wanted to know the Bible as well as Greg Price knew the Bible. Because he knew things that I I thought, why don't I know this? Well, it's because I am not reading the Bible. What's wrong with me? <laughs> and I'm supposed to be reading the Bible. So it was it was probably one of the most significant moments in my life to realize that a teenager could read the Bible and have that much understanding about it and knowledge about it and be so curious about it that it was something I wanted to emulate. And so I was probably 15 years old when that happened. And I remember thinking, I'm going to study the Bible. I want that to be something that's a priority. And so I started reading the Bible very differently from that point on. And I remember that it it really did have a powerful impact on me, just reading the Bible. But we did that two nights at his house, and that was it. I never stayed at their house ever again. And yet, that those two nights transformed the way I approached the Word of God. Yeah, That's it was... incredible. It was, it was. And somebody told me, you should Facebook Greg and see if you can find him and let him know. And I, I intend to do that someday. I have a Facebook page that I haven't looked at for four years. <laughs> yeah, social media, and I don't often oh, I, meet. I promise you're better off for it. I, I sometimes believe you. <laughs> but uh, that really was transformative. And then uh, that was, I was 15 maybe. Um, a year and a half later, I got involved in what, became known as a very historic event, the Jesus People Movement on, oh, on the West Coast. Yeah. yeah, I'm aware of it. San Francisco, L.A., San Diego, yeah, all of the beach communities up and down the coast. And I was there. And I was a junior in high school. And it was another one of those aha moments to be, mm-hmm. a, to be privileged enough to... And I, I wasn't a big participant you know, yeah. uh, nobody would ever know my name, you know, like some of the names that came out of that movement. Yeah. But that's because I was a junior in high school and I, I don't play musical instrument. I didn't write music. I wasn't a famous speaker. I didn't right. do anything spectacular. I just hung out with a lot of these people. And so we had a and and. One of the things that happened during the Jesus People movement was the development of what they called coffee house ministries. And so we mm. actually had a coffee house in our small town, and I got to participate in that. And basically what that ministry was was a group of ex-hippies. They were probably all in their early 20s, so they're six. 10 years older than me, They're, they were ex-hippies, mm-hmm. uh, drug addicts, uh, promiscuous kinds of yeah. lifestyle, dangerous kinds of lifestyle, mm-hmm. serious, serious drugs. Some of them had been 
satanic worshipers. Wow. I mean, I'm meeting these like people. Like all over the place. Oh, yeah. And I'm meeting these people, and, and I'm hearing their stories, their testimonies of how Jesus changed their lives. That's transformative for a 15-year-old. I'm just like a kid, you know, yeah. in the in a candy factory. My eyes are wide open. <laughs> my mouth is agape, and I'm going, wow, wow. And I'm participating in this coffeehouse ministry. And essentially what it was was just that. We had a small stage where some of these guys were musicians. Mm -hmm. You know, they're writing their a lot of their own music. Uh, they're up there singing. In the back is a, a bar yeah. that serves coffee and tea. Not like the coffee today, you know, where it's pretty, you know, hoity-toity. <laughs> yeah, you know. it's yeah. very, very well-dressed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was just, you know, coffee, and coffee, bland, yeah. bland coffee. And, and we might have creamer, we might not, who knows. But the whole idea was the doors open. The music's playing, and people would wander in. And every once in a while, the musicians would stop, and they'd say, well, I want to tell you about my life, man. You know, And then they would tell their story of how Jesus changed them. Mm -hmm. and, and then sometimes the people that had wandered in would say, oh, I want that. And so you know, I get to participate in leading these people to Jesus. And we did the same thing out on the beach. You know, we just walk up and down the beach and walk up to people and start talking to them casually. And yeah. eventually that would lead us to opportunities to tell them about Jesus. So here is this 15-year-old, 16-year-old junior in high school participating in this, uh, what really does become an historic event in the, in the history of the church, yeah. in the United States at least. And I, I was... I was at least on the edges of that, watching it, and it was transformative. And then uh, my senior year, I was um, planning on coming to Central mm -hmm. bec because my dad had gone to school here. My Actually, my mother had gone to high school here. My aunts and uncles had all gone to school here on my mom's side. So there were a lot of connections for me. Okay. And... I decided, okay, I want to go to Central like my dad did. And I, uh, I, I realized you're going to go a long ways away from Southern California. And I, I wasn't exactly sure what that meant. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I had a sense that God was calling me into ministry. So before I left, probably a week before I left, I spent virtually... Uh, a whole day, maybe even two whole days, because we were close enough to the beach, I could drive back and forth. And I remember sitting on a rock at, in, at Moonlight Beach, just contemplating what it was that God was calling me to. And, you know, I was naive and probably just stupid about what, <laughs> what that looked like, yeah. you know. And, but I knew that and I had a sense that God was saying, if you're gonna if you're gonna follow me, if you're gonna do ministry, you need to be serious about this. And and so I sat on the uh, honestly, I sat on a rock at Moonlight Beach and did nothing but listen to the waves and talk to God and decided this is what I need to do. I need to be so serious that there's no turning back. So I arrived, uh, at, in those days, we had probably three, four days before all of the other students came, the athletes came. Mm -hmm. And in that case, it was the men's soccer team, mm -hmm. and I think that was it. <laughs> and so I arrived early. I'd never played soccer before in my life. I'd played football in high school. Mm -hmm. And I arrived not having a clue what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. So when I arrived, I was placed in a room on the main floor of Stoll Hall. It was not air-conditioned. Oh, It's, what, second week of August, so it's stinking hot, mm -hmm. humid. Have no humidity in Southern California. The temperature, even in the winter, is pretty mild. In the summer, it's pretty mild, mm -hmm. 80 
Yeah. You know, 90 by the beach. I mean, hello, perfect conditions. And I'm sitting in my room sweating like a mad dog. There, there's no air conditioning. There's no screens on the windows. And I remember that first night, I was getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. And I'm thinking, this is absurd. I don't even have a, I don't even have a screen on my window. <laughs> And mosquitoes, if enough of them come in here, they're going to carry me out of the, out the window. <laughs> I was that, I mean, it was that bad. It was horrible. And all I had was a sheet on me. That's it. You know, I was trying to yeah. cover up. But you know how it is. They're yeah. buzzing. You hear that little noise. Mm, you know, like, through the whole night. Uh, and I, I actually had gotten here a day early. Oh, okay. And I didn't realize that I was a day, a day early even early for the soccer team to get there. So I mean, I'm better the, a day early than a day late. Well, I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, but I was the only resident in the dorm besides the dorm mom, mom Isaacson and, and her daughter, and they were living in their apartment. So I'm the only one in, in the, in the unit, you know, three stories. And well, me and the mosquitoes. <laughs> and I, I honestly said, what am I doing here? This is crazy. And I, I got down on my knees and I said, God, I'm ready to go home. If this is where I'm supposed to be, you're going to have to prove it to me. Because otherwise, I'm out of here tomorrow. Uh, and so that evening, I um, somehow, I don't remember the exact sequence, but I opened my Bible to Luke chapter 4, verse uh, 16 through 19 is where I ended up reading. But it's where Jesus gets up in his home synagogue in Nazareth and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. And, and it says, the Lord has anointed me and called me to proclaim good news to the poor, release of the captive, sight to the blind, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. And um, that was... For me, that was the confirmation that I needed, that I was at the right place and that I was doing the right thing, pursuing um, some kind of, of ministry uh, and that right. I was where I was supposed to be at Central. So that's what convinced me to stay. Wow. And that was another one of those aha moments because yeah. I was ready to leave the next morning because I was not having any kind of pleasant experience at right. that moment. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing how often the Lord tends to show up just in, in like the most dark, horrible moments yeah. in, in our lives. Yeah. And, and so, so you went, so you went from Colorado to mm -hmm. California, mm -hmm. then from California. And that, you said that that was like a big shock for you. Yes. Then you went from California to Kansas. Yes. And that was a big shock for you. Yes. Then you went back to California. I did. Yes. Was that, <laughs> and then you came back to Kansas and that was a big shock for yes. you. Yes. So. Well, there were a few, few stops along the way. Okay. So when I graduated from Central, I had learned enough about soccer that I was offered a, a small scholarship to play at Seattle Pacific University, not knowing full well what I was getting into there either. Mm -hmm. But my junior year, it was such a good team that we actually took second in the nation. Oh, we, wow. we played for the championship and lost. And that was NCAA Division Two. And two years after that, they actually won the national title. So they, wow. they had a reputation. They were really good. I was not that good. <laughs> uh, I, I was fast. And that was probably the only reason they thought, well, maybe he can contribute. I, I got to play in five games. Mm -hmm. And I actually got to play in a scrimmage against the Seattle Sounders, which was really fun. And not a lot of people can say they've had that experience. No, not, so not many at all. I didn't play my senior year. My my legs were already mm -hmm. starting to, to go. Uh, and I'd had a lot of trouble with my ankles, uh, my hips. And uh, the coach and I didn't see eye to eye about right. some things. So mm -hmm. I had just gotten married. I got married between my junior and senior year. 
And so I didn't play my senior year, um, concentrated on trying to, to learn to be a husband, yeah. which apparently I'm still trying to figure that piece <laughs> out after 45 years. And Well, if you figure it out, I'm sure there are plenty who would love to hear. <laughs> yeah, well, let me just say... Um, trial and error, fall on your face, get up. That That's it. Yep. You know, you just got to be committed. Mm-hmm. But that year was important because I had just had a monstrous experience in my junior year that brought me to the point of being an agnostic. Mm. And I've shared that in the class that you were in. Yes. Last two, or last year? year um, and a half it was ago, this past whatever. semester, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That I just wasn't sure. I, I didn't believe that there wasn't a God. So I wasn't right. an atheist, but I, be, but I was struggling to know if I could know God. So mm-hmm. I was an agnostic. And my poor new bride, you know, she felt like it was a bait and switch, you know. Yeah. She married somebody who was called into ministry, and now he doesn't know if he can know God. So most of that first year, she spent crying, and I, and I spent asking questions. For 18 months, I, I struggled with that. Mm-hmm. And it was a very um, desert kind of experience. Mm. And eventually, I I got to the point where I I actu- actually remember thinking, I have two options. I can continue to be a skeptic for the rest of my life and be an agnostic. And and I actually said to myself, this is a terrible place to be. This is a <laughs> terrible, terrible place to be because if this is where I end up and I question everything, not just about God, but everything, mm-hmm. I might as well just end it right now. Mm-hmm. And my other option was to return to being a person of faith. So it was really a question of life or death for you at that point. At that point, it, it really was. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that even my wife knew how desperate yeah. I had gotten. But I had some opportunities that presented themselves to me. And we had actually moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, after our first year of marriage. We lived in, in Seattle in, um, in the Baptist Rest Home. My wife found a full-time job there. We, they gave us an apartment, and it was a wonderful experience living with you know, older people, some of whom were over 100 years old, and just being able to sit and talk to them about their lives. That was just yeah. awesome. It was so much fun. But we moved back to Sioux Falls because that's my wife's hometown. And she finished her last two years at Augustana College. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and oddly enough, the Free Methodist Church in Sioux Falls needed a pastor. And I, I was 22 going on... 23, again, very naive and stupid. I had a degree in <laughs> biblical studies, and so they asked me if I would do that. And so I did. I, I said, sure, well, you know, how hard can it be? Well, yeah, um, yeah, okay, yeah, it was terrible uh, for them and for me. But the people were so kind, and the previous pastor, I begged him to stay and be my mentor, so I had four years there where Bob actually walked beside me and one or two other individuals in the church walked beside me and helped me. And it was an invaluable experience. So I'm 26 years old and uh, the, the realization that I was really clueless about what I was doing hit me. And I had a real clear sense that God was calling me to go back to school. Mm. So I went to seminary, and that's when we returned to Southern California. I went to Fuller Seminary Mm. and worked at the uh, Pasadena Free Methodist Church as sort of the college high school pastor Mm -hmm. with an old high school friend who was the pastor. It was a fabulous uh, opportunity. There you go. Dream team. (laughs) Well, yeah, it was more like the nightmare team, but (laughs) it, it still worked. And, um, and so then we pastored in Southern California at, uh, there for a number of years in that capacity. And then we moved up into the high desert for a number of years. And then we returned to Pasadena as the senior pastor there. So uh, 
the bulk of, of my 20 years is, as a pastor is actually in Southern California, 16 of those 20 years. Okay. And then that's the door that closed and we yeah. came here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Full circle. Yeah, in a way. <laughs> and oddly enough, let me let me add to that notion of full, full circle. My dad was a senior mm-hmm. at McPherson College when I was born. So I was actually born here. Oh, McPherson. wow. Yeah. 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 That. That's awesome. Yeah, and I'll probably die here. So that's full circle, baby. Well, we can help. We can help the Lord returns before that. <laughs> I'd be okay with that too. Yeah. 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 So uh, you you mentioned the doubt, and you know it's it's been some time since then. What is it about your faith? What is it about Jesus that just keeps you you know anchored? You know, we have the. For the theme this year, the passage out of Hebrews, the yeah. passage out of Hebrews to be anchored in Christ. Right. So, what is it about Jesus that it, He is such an anchor for you that it has kept you in the faith so long? Hmm. That's a great question. I I think that there's a lot of factors that there's not just one mm. particular thing. Yeah. I think it is honestly. The, the journey through my agnostic period, mm-hmm. the wilderness, actually played and continues to play to some degree an important part mm-hmm. in making my faith my own mm-hmm. and honestly making it stronger because I, I still wrestle with doubt. Right. I still wrestle with questions some of which are are still unanswered mm-hmm. you know and it it causes me to seek the answers mm-hmm. and in doing so it 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 makes me go deeper into right. the word and also it it calls me to utilize other elements like mm-hmm. i read so much about archaeology in you know biblical archaeology right that helps me sort of anchor what i'm reading in scripture right kind of bringing it the history yes um out of it makes kind of it brings it to this planet exactly it's easy to get caught up in like the sci-fi and and all of the fiction that mm-hmm. we're that's so like saturated in our culture. Yeah, I think that that archaeology and those practical. No, this is yeah. this is the site. This is the 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 garb, or the, you know, these yes. are the things. The, it really does are, anchor. Yeah. yeah, it does. And and I've I've been reading a lot, well, for many years actually, about the historical components the sources you know are they trustworthy are they not trustworthy and secular sources as well but all of those pieces help me as i'm searching for other answers Mm -hmm. and they really do cause me to go deeper in my faith and serve as a means to affirm Mm -hmm. what i have discovered to be true Mm. about walking in faith you know so my faith is is i suppose a multi-layered thing Mm. you know i I can never prove resurrection right (laughs) but there's plenty of evidence that supports it Mm -hmm. i i can't i can't even when i go to israel which I'm going to do again in 216 days, but um, who's counting? <laughs> yeah, me, baby. Awesome. Um, so when we go there, you know, there there's a clear sense that I'm in a special place. Yeah. But you can't always say, "Oh, Jesus walked here. X marks right. the spot." Right. But there's still a sense that I'm in the location where Jesus was. You know, yeah. I've been to places where the people that I read about in Scripture, they were here. Mm-hmm. You know, Abraham, Jesus, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, and all, you know, the whole gang of yeah. 12, right? 
I've, I've, I've sailed across the, the lake, the Sea of Galilee. Mm-hmm. I've been in Capernaum. You know, those kinds yeah. of things are, are affirming mm-hmm. and helpful. But it still comes back to, is what I read in Scripture the truth? Am I going to believe it or am I not? Because I could still choose to say, oh, no, it's still a fairy tale or you can't prove resurrection, so it can't happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. So all of those things, all of those components play an important part in helping me as I still struggle sometimes mm-hmm. with my faith. And there are specific issues like the problem of evil. That's probably the big one for me. Mm-hmm. I'm still sorting it out. Yeah. And I've I, you know, I found some tentative answers. Mm-hmm. I've I've found some things that are moderately helpful but not entirely. Yeah. You know, and people ask me questions all the time and I just go, I don't know. <laughs> you know, let me try yeah. and figure it out. And yeah. so I, I'm I think not it's the easy. only one. Yeah. I, I think it's really easy to forget that uh, you know, I, I think as Christians a lot of people think, oh, we're supposed to have all the answers. Yeah. But <laughs> we we If that's the case, I'm not a Christian. <laughs> I mean <laughs> Yeah, I think that, you know, there's just kind of that perception. But the reality is, like, if we knew, if we had all the answers, then we'd be God. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. So it, here's the piece that I think is helpful for me mm-hmm. as I wrestle. It's the more I read scripture, especially lately, mm-hmm. but the more I read scripture, I find in in some of the most surprising places the sense in which god is saying i i've been asking humanity to be in relationship with me mm-hmm. from the beginning it's it's all about relationship it's all mm-hmm. about relationship it's not a formula it's it's not about having the right answers all of the time mm-hmm. it's it's not about my failures or my successes yeah it's not about whether I struggle with doubt or, or any of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It's about being in relationship with God. Mm. And, and the more I reflect on that, and, and I find it in such surprising places recently mm-hmm. where I just go, what? I never saw that before. It's about relationship. Well, yeah. every relationship that I've had as a human being to a to another human being mm-hmm. is full of the very kinds of things that are true about my relationship with God. You know, I, I've been married to the same yeah. woman for 45 years. God mm-hmm. bless her. She's a saint. And I can't tell you how many times we've gone through the, are you kidding stage? You know, <laughs> uh, are you serious? Yeah. Uh, raising all sorts of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, having doubts about what we're doing as a married couple, as parents, as, as, as we make choices, even about, you know, moving to Kansas, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very similar. And, and be, and, and it's a little bit more interesting in the sense that with God, he, he actually can read my mind. He knows what I'm thinking. You know, my wife can't, even though sometimes I act like she should be able to. Right. (laughs) But because he 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 does know my thoughts Mm -hmm. and he doesn't know my motives sometimes better than I know them for myself. But because of that, there's really no particular reason why I should hide it from him or or pretend like I can. Right. You know, so it's an even deeper relationship because he knows he he knows me better than I know myself. Yeah. And it allows you to be completely authentic. Exactly. And just kind of skip past the whole "I'm hiding it because I don't want to get hurt." Exactly. Thing. Or or he's going to be mad at me. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, so it goes even more more in depth mm-hmm. than than my relationship with my wife or any other person that I have relationships with in, in you know on planet Earth. Right. Yeah, I mean, even even when you look at you know the the story of the prodigal son, what the the father 
in that parable, the thing that he is concerned with, with both sons, is their presence with him. Mm-hmm. Like the first thing he does when he sees his younger son is runs to him yes. and brings him back into the family yes. um, because his son has come back to life. Yeah. And then the older son, the first thing he says to him um, after the, the older son's kind of rebuttal for, yeah, why did you, why are you throwing this party for him? The father's first words are, son, you have been with me this whole time. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, that, that relational aspect is, you know, I think the core of our faith. It, it, it's, it's the whole point. Yeah, it is. I and agree. Yeah. I, I think, um, I, for a long time, I got caught in, um, you know, you mentioned your, um, finding your identity and what you were doing mm-hmm. for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, but not your, but missing out on your relationship with him. Yes. And that's something that I wrestled with for a long time because I, I just came to this point where I thought, well, if I'm not out there like winning souls and souls and souls and like winning the world for Christ, <laughs> yeah. you know, the great, the great commission. If I'm not like, if I'm not saving the planet, and if I'm like, then do I even really have any value? If I'm yeah. not doing something big for God, do I yeah. even matter? Does my yeah. life matter? And I had to come to that that point where it's like, no, it's actually about enjoying and living life with God through everything. Yes. And learning to be in relationship with him. And the, like all the uh, all the other stuff, the, the evangelism, the yeah. bringing people to him and um, showing him that's all byproducts of being in relationship with him. Exactly. You're exactly mm-hmm. right. And people catch that, mm-hmm. you know, and then they ask us the question, why are you the way you are? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about Jesus, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if there's anybody, you know, listening that might be in that point of doubt, might be wrestling, might be like, you know, seeking answers and, or, you know, just not sure about their faith. Maybe they're, they don't take it super seriously or they think, you know, um, you know, what's the big deal about, you know, having a relationship with God. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I, um, you know, I've checked the box. Um, I've been saved or whatever. And, and, you know, they're just kind of going through the motions. Um, what would you say to anybody that's kind of at that period um, or at that place in their life where, um, they're, they're just not sure or they just don't sense a need to be committed? Yeah, that's a good question. I I just listened to a sermon by Timothy Keller. Uh, mm. What's today? Today's Tuesday. It was yesterday. Yes. So one of the interesting things that he said, and, and I've heard other people say this as well, that when people are on their deathbed, they that they never, ever have said to him as a pastor, oh, I wish I'd made more money. Mm. Oh, I wish I had a bigger house or any of those things that are Mm -hmm. part of our consumer culture that we work so hard for, Mm -hmm. right? He said almost every time people have that kind of conversation with him on their deathbed, he said that their comment is, I wish I had more time to spend with the people I love. Mm. And I think about that in terms of how do we treat how do we treat the relationship we have with with God? You know? Yeah. Um, would we, if we if we were honest and step back, would we realize that we're not treating him in the same way that he treats us? We're, we're so important to him, he died for us. Mm-hmm. We're so important to him that he invites us into this intimate relationship, mm-hmm. which, you know, he's everywhere. And all we have to do is recognize that he's there. He's given us his word. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is pick it up and read it, and, and we hear from him. All we have to do is have a conversation with him while we're walking down the street, you know, it, because prayer is just conversation, mm-hmm. just like we're doing right now. And 
And so I wonder if we wouldn't say to ourselves, if we're in the midst of doubt, mm-hmm. how important is this thing we call being a Christian? Mm-hmm. If, we're, if we're right, it's a relationship. Well, how are we treating this relationship? Mm-hmm. And if we're so doubtful that, that, that God is even there, I think if we pay attention, he tells us, if you seek me, I'll be found. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we really want to know, he will get us to that place, like he got me to that place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had all of that history growing up, and, and, and that was beneficial. And I had those experiences as a high school kid. I came to Central, you know, took Bible classes, had a degree in Bible from Seattle Pacific. You know, I had all of that as background. Uh, so I could fall back on that. And maybe not everybody has that. But there's still that component of God will hear and he will, in his own way, bring you to the place that he will reveal himself and mm-hmm. you will find the wealth and the beauty of being in relationship with him. Even yeah. in the midst of doubt, even now, you know, he and I have frequent conversations <laughs> where I say things like, uh, well, teaching. I, I think, what if, what, what if I'm not teaching my students the truth? Mm-hmm. That's a doubt that I have pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I have that conversation with God as I'm walking into the classroom, mm-hmm. what if I'm not telling them the truth? That's a real struggle for me. But I, I voice it to God, and he encourages me that I'm where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there are other times, but all of that is predicated on the fact that I'm in a relationship with him, and he chooses to direct me Mm-hmm. I, I read scripture daily, which is one of probably the most obvious way that he communicates to me. Mm-hmm. He communicates to me in other ways as well, if I pay attention, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I would say to people, how important is the relationship? If it's just a formula, if it's just about checking the box mm-hmm. at the end of the day, then I'm not sure it's a real relationship. You wouldn't call that a relationship if that's what your marriage looked like. If you wanted a, a solid, meaningful marriage, you're going to invest in it. Yeah. You know, you're 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 going to, at least, I think most people, you're going to find ways to communicate things that matter, mm. the good and the bad, right? Yeah. Um, and you're going to find ways to express love. You're going to find out your spouse's love language and yeah. use it mm-hmm. you're if you're smart as a man you're gonna continue to have date nights at least you know once a month mm-hmm. all of those things you you invest in it right. because it matters right so if we're if we're claiming to be christians we need to invest in it mm-hmm. we need to read the scripture we need to interact in in places where the community gathers to to hear or to speak Mm-hmm. or to discuss the truth that we find in Scripture, or to express our reservations or ask our questions, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And it should be safe places because God already knows those questions. So right. we're, the only people that are, are offended or threatened by that are the, are the people. Mm-hmm. It's not God, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think, yeah, because I think a lot of the... Um, you know, I think doubt sometimes is a dirty word in Christian yes, communities. It it's yeah. like, oh, how, how, why are you doubting Jesus? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think it comes from a standpoint of people don't want to hear the doubts because they don't want to start doubting themselves. Well, they, that th- could be true. Yeah. I think sure. I think that's a part of it because it's like, oh, if if you like start talking about this thing that you're doubting of, then that suddenly means that I have to think about this. I have to consider this and I have to wrestle with, and people are afraid of losing their faith. I think that's, that's a part of it. Um, But, but you know what? It's interesting in, in the synoptic gospel class that I'm teaching right now, Mm -hmm. we just looked at Matthew 28, 17, where it's the closing narrative 
Jesus has already died, has already been raised from the dead, and he's meeting with the disciples. Mm -hmm. And it says they bowed down and worshipped him, Mm -hmm. but some still doubted. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) How is that? You see see where I'm going, right? They saw the risen Jesus and still doubted. Yeah, and they even worshipped. And some still doubted. And that's how the gospel pretty much ends. I mean, Jesus says, you know, I'll be with you always. Go make disciples, right? That's, mm-hmm. That follows that. But it's still amazing. And actually, as I think about it, so they worship, some still doubted. And then he says, go and make disciples. I'll be with you always. So he's telling all of the people that have just been there, including the doubters, two things. Continue the mission, and I'll, and I'll be with you always, even in the midst of your doubt. What? How is that? I don't know, but that's what the text says. My favorite, actually, probably one of my favorite characters in the New Testament is somebody we don't even know their name. It's the father who brings his child to Jesus and Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, and the the nine disciple the nine apostles, and however many disciples are with them, are mm-hmm. are trying to uh, cast out the demon that is in this man's son, mm-hmm. and they don't succeed. Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He sees what's going on. And the father comes rushing to him, and they have conversation. You know, how long has this been? What happens? All of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Jesus says, have faith, we'll deal with it. And the father says, oh, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. He's one of my favorite characters. He sounds an awful, like, awful lot like me. I believe. Help me with those things I still struggle with. And I think that that is an authentic part of being in relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it, it really does come down to whether or not we just want God. Mm-hmm. Like, just like in a married relationship, it comes down to are you still willing to, to be committed to this? Yes. Do, you, do you want this? Yes. And I, I think, you know, I think about the, the parable of the man who went out and bought the field yeah. because he found this treasure in the field. So he sold everything he had to gain this treasure because it was so valuable to him yeah. because he wanted it. Yes. And I think if we want God, yeah. then w- even in the midst of our doubts, we'll still cling to that. And we'll, because our, our, I think sometimes, at least sometimes I think our doubts are really doubting. I, I think in our doubts, we want God, but we're not sure if we can have him. I think that's where a lot of our doubts are rooted from. That that could very well be the case. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he is invisible for crying out loud. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the only one that could ever be responsible <laughs> with invisibility. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Larry, thank you so much yeah. for your time today. Um, it's been a blessing to hear the Lord's work in your life and to hear just how um, you've learned and grown after all this time and, I'm excited for, you know, what, what's coming up for, um, your, your ministry through your teaching. Um, I'm hoping that I can at least have one more class with you <laughs> before, before I graduate. Cause there, it's just always just really fun, really good discussion. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's kind yeah. I enjoy doing what I'm doing. Yeah. It still amazes me that I get to, but yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the faith Friday podcast. And thank God for Jesus. Amen. Amen.